Welcome to the Business Awards Show, where we share valuable information and secret nuggets to get your award entry notice by the judges for all the right reasons. Our weekly episodes also feature inspirational interviews with winners, judges and sponsors. So let's dive in and start your journey to award-winning success. Debbie Gilbert from the Best Business Women Awards and today I'm joined by Lynn Stanier, MBE and founder of Their Future Today, a charity which supports families and children in Sri Lanka. Welcome Lynn. Thank you Debbie. (laughs) So Lynn won our Charity Champion Award back in 2016. Um, So we've known Lynn now for quite a long time and we've been following her journey and the growth of the charity and all of the things that are going on. So, Lynn, for those people who are watching who haven't heard of Their Future Today, tell us a bit about what the charity does and why you set it up. Um, Well, I set it up um, to start with because there was so much need after the tsunami. Um, I went as a volunteer and... um, and not expect not not knowing what to expect obviously as I'd never done anything like that before but um, I've worked in Sri Lanka for four years before that so I knew Sri Lanka fairly well Um, but it was actually going into an orphanage uh, for the first time um, the shock and horror of what I saw um, and I couldn't unsee what I'd seen and it sort of tormented me. Um, so when I came back, I, I was actually contacting all of the charities to find out what was going to happen um, for, for these children. I was there just five weeks after the, after the tsunami. You, you used to travel to Sri Lanka to do with um, the business that you had before. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I was a travel um, specialist to Sri Lanka and... Uh, um, so I, I knew I was very familiar with the country um, and yeah I, I just was so shocked and um, and wanted to find out what you know what was going to happen for these children I mean you know the, the conditions wouldn't were conditions like I wouldn't keep my dog let alone a child and it was just heartbreaking um, and uh, so the big charities um, all said that they had a disaster fund, which was to sanitise the water, put people in tents, um, and you know there was no infection there. So basically, they said their job was done, which um, quite shocked me. And I decided that in future I was going to give my donations to areas that I knew it would be um, where I could see precisely what was going to happen to it. Um, and started to raise some money here through coffee mornings alongside my job and um, and promised people that it's going to go to this orphanage and we're, we're you know we're going to try and make some improvements there through a foundation that has set up there so it's going to be quite easy I'd raise some money send it there and they'd, they'd do the job um, unfortunately it didn't quite go to plan so I raised some money and then um, what happened was there was a child abuse allegation against one of the people there all of the volunteers and uh, had to come out um, and I was left with some about a couple of thousand pounds I think it was at the time um, and didn't know what to do with it apart from go back and spend it so that's what I did I went back and um, through my business again to see how the travel 
business, you know, was progress or how travel was would would it be safe to travel there? And and so I I went back a few months later, um, met with the commissioner and said I raised some money, um, and uh, I'd like to spend it in this particular orphanage. And he said, oh, thank you very much. And I said, no, 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 we'll decide how to spend the money, and I'll go away and do it. So on that trip, we. We put in some water, electricity supplies, bought washing machines, nappies, baby milk, spent all the money, loaded up lorries, and because £2,000, you could buy, get a lot for that. Um, and spent all the money, and then I came back and then did it all over again, and then went back again. And so we were in this process of doing that until I had a, an annual ball, um, which I think was in 2006. And, um, and then we actually raised enough to do a complete restoration of the orphanage. Um, so that, that's, you know, that's how it really began. And, uh, um, and then it was actually at that point that the baby, I picked up this baby when I went the first time, she stopped crying, looked at me, um, she was so tiny. Um, and she was six months old, but looked like a newborn. And I just got, had that, I just couldn't get that out of my head. Um, and I sort of made her this silent promise when I was there that, you know, I'd try and do something to help. Um, and in 2008, um, they told me that she had a brother in another orphanage. So I actually, within an hour, found him and um, realised that then, then we, re and then we had, we spent quite a long time then trying to find their mother who had had to abandon the two children um, because after the tsunami, she, became a widow, she was pregnant, she had no means of supporting either of the children, she was homeless. Um, and then we realized that so many of these children in there actually did have families that just couldn't support them. So since then, um, we've been trying to get children reunited with families, um, which we've built houses and we've reunited some children and we're preventing children from going in, but we want to work on a national scale now to actually get alternative family and foster care introduced into the country, which they don't know about. Um, so we're providing the knowledge and the training to the probation services and the childcare protection services. So yeah, it's a bit of a, <laughs> a, bit of a long story, but... <laughs> Your charity is actually, I mean, you have had um, direct contact with the government in Sri Lanka, haven't you? I mean, this is not a small project you have now grown this massively haven't you over the years yeah the yeah. impact that you've had um what sort of figure how many families have you been able to help we're supporting um about three and a half thousand children and families a year um, um and that's through providing um education we have a, a bigger education program because we realize actually that you know Poverty, the reason why people are abandoning children is because they have had no education themselves. Um, and so, although there's a pre-education system, if the, if the children haven't got the books and the pens and everything to be able to go to school to write with, um, they can't learn anything. And so we've, uh, we've been providing school books and that since um, I think about 2008. And, um, um, yeah, and you know, by giving those children, which are quite often, they're all poor rural children, um, who are often the first of their gener first generation in their family to go to school. So the idea being is that, you know, with an education, they, they'll be able to provide for their own children and not have to abandon them. 
What's the situation at the moment out in Sri Lanka with the COVID-19 outbreak? Um, desperate. I mean, really desperate because, um, I mean, most of the poor, poor people, they manage on a daily wage. And um, what happened when COVID-19 started to spread um, around the world, they clamped straight down, put people on strict, strict curfews, um, which meant they couldn't leave their houses. And their lockdowns went on for several days and, you know, they were earning no income, um, which meant that they had no food to put on the table. So we've been having emergency appeals to, well, we've provided over a thousand um, food parcels now, um, which we've been, we've been doing in, in various areas of Sri Lanka where we are just getting all these desperate appeals from people. Um, because now it's a question of actually not just, you know, providing the education we've got to keep them nourished otherwise if they're not healthy and if they are in the situation where they're having to abandon the children again then we've got more children that we're going to have to try and get back out of the orphanages which is a very difficult and complicated um, system because basically there is no system in place to do that um, so it's um, it, it's really desperate for, and even the even the the people that had livelihoods quite good livelihoods like the tuk tuk drivers and people that worked in the hotels um, they are also without income at all because you know there, there's no tourists and uh, so those people that weren't poor have now become poor yeah it's increased um, the number of people in need basically yeah. massively um, and you know, um, unlike here, you know, there isn't a sort of welfare state um, to help them out. No furlough, no help, no support. Lynn, let's take you back to 2016 when you won your award. I think you've got your certificate somewhere on your desk yeah. there. Great. Oh, yeah, there you go. And let's um, talk about what made you enter the Best Business Women Awards, the charity champion category. What did you? What was your uh, thought process behind that? To be honest, I didn't really have a thought process as such because um, it was actually somebody through a networking group that I was in who sent me um, the details of it and said, you should enter, you should enter. And I kind of looked through it, glanced through it and just thought, oh, I would I, like that. So I just kind of put it to one side. And then I think um, that it was probably a day or two before the deadline that they called me and said, have you, have you put in that application? And I said, I said, oh, no, I haven't. And I think I've missed the deadline now. So I looked and I think, I, I think you, you might remember me contacting you at the very last minute because I think it had to be posted. Yeah, um, it did. It was a postal entry in those days. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't even started it at that point and I, I said, am I, am I too late to send it? And so um, you said, no, you know, send it in. So I, I mean, it was literally something that I did put together very, very quickly um, and didn't really ever think in a million years that I had any chance of winning it. I still remember being in the judging room when um, they were reading your entry and the first judge that had read it said, oh my goodness, this is an amazing charity based in Sri Lanka. Because um, they talk in their coffee breaks and things. And um, I still remember them talking about it. And I remember reading your entry when you were chosen as a winner, because I read all the winner's entries and finalist entries at the end of the process. And actually feeling moved to tears of what you'd written and the help that you'd given. So it was amazing to be able to present you with that award. We'd never met before um, that night and I've never even heard of the charity. Now I tell everybody about it because I think what you do is, is so incredible. Um, 
I've even been to one of your balls this year, which was absolutely amazing. So hopefully you'll be able to do that again quite soon. Because with the whole COVID again, a lot of your events, I guess, have been cancelled as well and fundraising streams. Um, so what impact do you think the awards have had on the charity? Well, I think the thing for me was, I mean, as I say, I, I was completely shocked to win. And that was the first thing. Um, and... Um, I just, I, I just think it just gave me so much, it built so much confidence in what I was doing. Mm. Um, because I think up to that point, I'd sort of spent, I spent five years actually sort of fundraising and um, working alongside my job. Then I burnt myself out completely and spent four years then at home working um, on the charity only. Um, and then I'd sort of come out of that and I, I, I just sort of started dipping my toe into the water of um, going out again. I, I had chronic fatigue syndrome. So I, I'm going to mention that just purely because I want to give hope to anyone who suffers that because I had it four years and thought that was it. My life was, that was my life. But actually there was light at the end of the tunnel. And once I started dipping my toe into the water and, and getting myself out there and then the, the, the award it kind of really lifted me so much um to think wow i am actually doing something that is recognized that people understand that you know I, it kind of took me out of my little circle of friends and family supporters and their friends or whatever but you know there was only a certain network that i could reach but with the awards it it lifted everything and um, so it, it was a huge starting point for me really and um, it just took me a long time to sort of get there really. <laughs> and then fast forward to 2018 you got the pinnacle really of all awards and MBE from the Queen so tell I, us what that was like going to Buckingham Palace. <laughs> yes I did actually. There's your picture. <laughs> um, yeah, it was incredible. I mean, that was so, again, so, so unexpected. I had a call from the, um, the British High Commissioner in Colombo um, asking or telling me that I had actually been put forward because they don't actually tell you you've got it. They say you've been put forward for um, an MBE and, um, you know, and, um, and was I happy for it to sort of go forward to the Queen um, for her agreement? And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and um, in, in fact, it was the funniest thing because when I had this call, I was expecting a call from a, um, a district nurse, my dad, and I put it on speaker. I was actually in a meeting with one of my trustees. And, and so she heard this conversation at the same time. And, and so when he finished the conversation, he said, but what I must um, ask you is that it, you must keep this secret until I think 15th of June or something. And I, I can't remember when that was, but, <laughs> she, but she'd heard it already. <laughs> so she was sort of like, oh, you know, who can we tell? But um, yeah, you have to keep it very quiet. But I, I mean, it was an amazing experience. And actually, I, I had to cancel my, my, um, my MBE at Buckingham Palace because my dad was in hospital and I wanted him to come. And um, I, they were so kind and, they, and, and I asked to rearrange and they never, they don't tell you who you're going to meet. And um, when I rang to reorganise it, I said, is it, um, is it, um, you know, who is it going to be? And they said, oh, we can't tell you that. Anyway, I had to ring them back and they said, did you really want the Queen? <laughs> I said, yes, I, 
Gallery. And it was the last, one of the last two um, awards that she gave for MBEs at Windsor Castle. So it was just amazing. Fantastic. What a great experience. So if anyone's watching this thinking I'm a charity and I don't know whether I should be entering not just our awards, but any awards, what advice would you give to them? I would say that you, you know, if you're, if you're a CEO of a charity, you, you don't have time for anything. You're sort of, <laughs> you're doing, you're doing everything all at the same time. And it's, it's kind of just trying to get through the priorities that come to the top of the list every single day and you never quite reach the top. Um, and so things like awards, I think probably lots of charities wouldn't really be looking to go in that direction, really. It doesn't come as part of the strategy, which I know other businesses actually see it as a very big part of their strategy. And I can quite understand why. Um, and I, I think charities don't really look at it in the same way. And I would say to any charity that they should really seriously think about applying and, um, and you know, even becoming a finalist, I think it, it just it, it just puts you out there into a different um, in a different circle, and and then you could you know try again or whatever. But um, I mean, winning something and getting an acknowledgement for the work that you're doing, I think it's so important to do. And I, I thank you so much because without you and doing these awards, then you know it, this wouldn't have happened for me. And from an awareness point of view and connections as well, because I know. You've, you've worked with a couple of people through the awards as well, haven't you? And I think it's, it's about more people because we fundraise the following year for the winner of the charity from the year before. Um, so in any event, if you win, you're likely to have some couple of thousand pounds coming into your charity. Um, and I think from an awareness point of view, because some of the charities that we've actually recognised through the awards were not that well known. People didn't know about them. They were those gems, the sort of um, the people who were behind those scenes doing loads of amazing things. And they weren't, they were lost in a sea of all the national charities that we all know about and all do an amazing job. But um, it's been great to be able to recognise people like yourself who have done such amazing things for the people in Sri Lanka and to give you a bit more of a platform to spread the word really mm. and I think you're incredibly inspiring every time I meet you I think oh my god she's so inspiring <laughs> and I think you know what you've done is absolutely amazing so if you are watching this um do contact Lynn do do have a look at um what they do they do some incredible work in Sri Lanka and it would be great if you're a business owner to get involved with a charity like this because they do make a demonstrable difference to the lives of thousands of people and who at the moment are in more need than, than normal because of the situation worldwide. So thank you for joining me today. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you, Debbie. Keep everything crossed. If you need a mask. Oh yes, sorry. Yes, I remember you mentioning that. So they're making masks. Tell people quickly about that before we go. Yeah, we're just uh, we're supporting um, these businesswomen entrepreneurs, but the the funds that so it, that's giving them an income to support their families. Um, but and they're they're working obviously in their in their little homes to to make the masks, but they're good quality masks. And what we're doing with the profits of that is we're supporting um, young girls uh, to get through their O levels by. Uh, 
take these girls off the streets who have been abused um, rather than them going into orphanages we're supporting them giving them some safe housing and um, and education so that they'll have some opportunities in the future so uh, they can buy the masks off your website yes different 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 color ones and um, blue orange colourful ones and we've got so more. So these women would normally be making um, items to sell for tourists wouldn't mm -hmm. they? So this is giving them an additional, well not even an additional, an income at the moment when there are other income streams that dried up. Sorry. And it's, it's sweatshops either because there's so many of these sweatshops right. that are, are knocking out masks and making an absolute fortune. Mm -hmm. um, you know I mean this is the new the new business now isn't it and uh, yeah, so, so look at where you buy your masks from anyway, because ethically, I think we all have to be a bit more aware. I think you're right. I think you're right. Anyway, thank you for joining me today. Thank you thank so you much, Lynn. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Business Awards show. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others and post about it on social media or leave a rating or review. To catch all of the latest information and show notes, please go over to our website, businessawardshow.co.uk. Thank you.